Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, fellow Creative Control listeners. My name is Mac Cameron. I live in Toronto, and I have been listening to Creative Control with Vish Khanna since episode 119. That featured all five members of one of my favorite bands, Constantine's. I listen backwards from there and then forwards, and I know it sounds, you know, over the top or cliche, but finding the show changed the course of my life. It inspired me to pursue a career in radio and to do what I can to support the arts in my community and across the country. So I give to Creative Control because I feel like I owe the show and Vish uh, for helping me figure out what the hell to do with my life. Beyond that, I give to Creative Control because I think independent media, especially insightful, entertaining, thoughtful, and thorough independent media is something that is worth paying for. What I appreciate about Creative Control is Vish's ability to treat Canadian artists, or any artist for that matter, with the seriousness and appreciation he would any other artist. His excellent rapport with people like Steve Albini and the members of Fugazi and Stephen Malcolmus and others have earned him international appreciation. However, it's his trove of interviews with what I consider to be the most exciting generation of Canadian musicians conducted out of genuine passion and interest that makes this show so special. I think it is an archive of some really exciting music that is way, way underreported on and appreciated. That's why I contribute to Creative Control with Vishkana, and I hope you will do the same. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Vish's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Mouth Congress is a band co-founded by Scott Thompson and Paul Bellini, who are each based in Toronto, Ontario. Thompson is a full-fledged performing member of the Kids in the Hall comedy troupe, and he often wrote sketches for the Kids in the Hall with Bellini, a talented comedian in his own right, who is perhaps best known for his role as a man wearing just a towel on episodes of the Kids in the Hall's TV show. In the mid-1980s, Thompson and Bellini also co-founded a lo-fi punk band called Mouth Congress that broke up in 1992, but are now the subjects of a hilarious and raw new eponymous film based on a 2016 reunion show they played at the Rivoli Club in Toronto. Mouth Congress, the movie, has its world premiere at the Kingston Canadian Film Festival at the Baby Grand Theatre in Kingston, Ontario, on Saturday, March 14th. And so, Scott and Paul spoke with me about the film's unique docu-comedy structure, what punk rock and homosexuality in Toronto in the 1980s was like, why Johnny Rotten loves Buddy Cole, their forthcoming first-ever records on captured tracks, how preparation for the Kids in the Hall's new Amazon series are going, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph 
and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 531st episode of Creative Control, featuring the extremely funny and smart Scott Thompson and Paul Bellini of Mouth Congress and the Kids in the Hall, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Paul. How's it going? I'm fine. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I want to make sure you're okay. The last I heard about you, Paul, there, I uh, you, you weren't doing so well health-wise. How's your health? Well, you know, I went in for hernia surgery on October 25th, and the surgery went fine. But on the second night in hospital, I ate a Swedish meatball, and I guess under the anesthetic, I vomited while unconscious and aspirated, you know, which is what happened to like John Bonham. Oh, my God. So I was really lucky that a nurse caught it right away and it was code blue and all that. And they had to resuscitate me. And yes, I did see the light. And then I woke up two days later in ICU surrounded by all of my family and friends. It was the most strange experience. And it was kind of delightful in a way. Not to come so close to dying, but to see how much love you have in your life. And sometimes it takes a crisis to actually open your eyes to something like that, you know? Yeah, we all take ourselves and each other for granted a lot of the time. Uh, I'm so happy to hear you're okay, and that is a, that's a really terrible story in a lot of ways. You say you saw the light? Are you serious? Well, I think it's, it, it must happen when people are resuscitated. I was in a blind, it was a blinding white light and it appeared that I was in some kind of a white marble surgical theater with cherubs flying around. I mean, it was the strangest thing. You have no idea. Yeah, no, I I don't. And I don't want to know. I just don't, I don't (laughs) want to know any more about it for myself, but I'm, but you're well now is what you're saying. Uh, Yeah, I'm fully recuperated. But one of the cherubs had to die. (laughs) Yeah, it was a trade off. It was a trade off. They're like, you can go back, but one of these gorgeous cherubs has to go. So Paul chose to, that. <laughs> Killed it. It's Killed a, it. It's a trade-off. You know, it's funny. Killed it and roasted it right there. <laughs> it's funny. Suckling cherub. Suckling cherub. It's, it's unbelievable. All right. Well, Paul, it's nice to speak with you. That would be a good so- new song for us. Suckling cherub. Yeah. I, I, figured, I figured we might write a song together by the end of this interview, just the way you two work. I figured that might happen. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. nice. It's ni- Paul, I don't think uh, we've ever really spoken. I think uh, we're Facebook friends and all that kind of thing. It's, it's very nice to speak with you. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Nice to speak to you. Yeah. Uh, Wait until the end of the interview yeah. before you say that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you true. might regret it. It's true. Uh, Scott Thompson, are you there? It sounds Hi. like you are. How are you doing? I'm here. Yeah. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. I, I spent all of 2019 alive, fully alive. <laughs> I, I didn't die once. <laughs> well, oh, it changed dozens of times. <laughs> and I was resuscitated by comedy doctors numerous <laughs> times. Sounds about right. I saw you perform once, I believe, in 2019 in Toronto. Is that, I did, yes. Is, is that possible? I don't think I even died that night. No, no. You, you were unbelievable. Was that at the Great Hall? Was that in 2019? The, the years that of... That's right. Yeah, that was... Well, no, that might have been the year before. Anyway, it was wonderful. Yeah. Are you still doing that show? No. No, I'm not. Oh. No. But it was so good. Yes, I know, but... It's, uh, I don't need to do it anymore. The kids in the hall are rebooted. I'm giving right. all that material to them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that at some point. But we want, we're here today to talk about uh, Mouth Congress and this uh, new, uh, I wanted to call it a documentary, but it's really a docudrama, isn't it? I, I think that's maybe the better name for it. How would you describe the uh, Mouth Congress film, Scott? Oh, um, well, we call it a documentary because we um, traffic in lies. <laughs> so it's very true to our our lies. We don't really know what to call it. I mean, because we know we call it a documentary because we don't know what else to call it. And to, uh, calling it a docudrama makes it sound like it's not fun. But um, if, that's interesting that you would call it that. Sometimes we think of it as a mockumentary. Um, but it's not that either. But it's not that either because much of it is very true. But we throw things in there that aren't really true just because they serve our agenda. <laughs> is it a docudramedy? Maybe a docu... It's a, it's a mock-u-comedy. Mock-u-com- mock-u-drama-comedy? 
Um, it's a film. It's a film. It's, film. it's, it's a film. That's that's the, the fairest way to put it. Paul, can you yeah. sort of sum for those who haven't seen it yet? Can you summarize the Mouth Congress film uh, briefly, just so uh, we can you know keep people in the loop? How would you describe well, it? It started off with us just merely shooting the process of doing a reunion show and trying to work in all our archival footage because we videotaped everything from the 80s. And then, you know, the long process of spending two years trying to cobble it together. And we had to create this kind of framework where Kevin McDonald is uh, a kindly uncle telling a bedtime story to his eight-year-old niece about Mouth Congress. So that's sort of the, the framework, the structure of it. Yeah, and the, and the niece is named Melancholy for some reason? Melancholy, yes. yeah. Yes, okay. So there's the, that's where the dramedy, drama, comedy stuff really, there's a, there's a narrative arc at the beginning. It's almost like The Princess Bride or something, really, when I think about oh, it. That, that's that's what, where he stole the idea. That's, yeah. that's definitely one of the inspirations. Right, yes. right. And, and Kevin is very, very funny. And Scott, did you two write Kevin's uh, uh, narrative? Yes. Yeah. It is. It is the funniest thing. My wife oh, was. Good. My wife was walking by as, and I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a line where Kevin suggests that something you two made might have caused a, a very catastrophic epidemic. AIDS. You can say it, bitch. AIDS. AIDS is the epidemic in in question. Yes. He, yeah. We're blamed for causing AIDS. Not not actually us, but this, our work. Our, our work. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I'm I was laughing out loud again. I've watched this thing a couple of times, and I was laughing out loud this morning. And my wife came by, and she I rewound it, and she laughed. It's very like the writing is very funny. That whole thing, the concept that you've stolen. Clearly from the Princess Bride, very funny. Good work oh, on. Thanks very much. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, and we just took it as far as we could, and went, "Oh, this is a great way to end this bit." Yeah. <laughs> now and it's not that far off the truth. Metaphorically, it's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, now, Paul blamed for a lot of things. <laughs> Paul alluded to the fact that there's all this archive footage of mouth congress in the from the 80s and i i found this astounding because these days we're so used to all we document yeah. everything we do every day scott what was the impetus behind so much documentation of the early days of, of you and paul and your life and, and mouth congress well paul's better to answer that i mean for me i was just a preening narcissist who likes to be on camera <laughs> and paul bought the very first video camera no, you know what it was okay. oh yeah you tell it, our guitar player, Rob Rowett, used to be uh, a wedding photographer. Oh, like right. he'd make wedding videos in the 80s uh, before people had a lot of home home video cameras. And uh, I'd borrow it to go and tape Kids in the Hall shows. And then when we started doing Mouth Congress shows, of course, they had to be put on tape. So I got in the habit of shooting all these live shows and then shooting, you know, candid stuff and rehearsals and us just fooling around. And um, I shot like a maniac for about 15 years. Yeah. So we have a lot of tape. So there's even <laughs> even more than we've seen in this film, I assume. There's lots on the cutting room oh, floor. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. we had a we had to sacrifice a lot of good footage because we did not want to make a long film. No. It was important for us that the pace of the film uh, worked all the way through. And at one point, we had to cut one of our favorite songs because oh, it yeah. slowed down the ending. Oh. Like we had we had like a three hour version at the beginning practically. Even us, we found it hard to see. Yeah, <laughs> and there's we had like interviews and with the band and all that. But then we realized this doesn't really work because no one's heard of the band. They don't know who any of these people are. Yeah, or it's or not songs, or, or, songs or anything. So it's not interesting. It's too bad. Um, I think some of the songs are really wonderful. They remind me of oh, yes. of things we like every once in a while. I think of uh, the bands I really love, like Big Black and. And the Jesus Lizard, like really underground, subversive uh, American sort of punk rock. I feel like that's in there somehow. And yet you seem oh, to be yeah. ha- seem to be having a lark. Are you a fan of any of those bands, or were the, what, is there a particular band that influenced? You've never heard I'm any. Very of them. ignorant about music. Uh, Paul is much more knowledgeable than I am. Paul, are, are you a fan of sort of American underground post punk or Canadian underground post punk? Mm, you know, I was more interested in the British punk. I have to be honest. Um, like. I love bands like Wire. Right, right, um, right. And they were a huge influence on some of the bands I'm talking about. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. To me, that was... I. But but I also love that whole No New York thing that happened. Um, 
you know, um, what was it? Mars DNA, uh, James Chance, mm-hmm. those sort of things. Yeah, that I was great. That. Uh, yeah. Like I loved punk rock when it first came out. When it first happened, I was really into it. It just felt like a great place to put all my, I don't know. Uh, anger. Anger. Yeah. <laughs> and energy and physicality and all that. And like, I was obsessed with the sex pistols. That right. was what I was obsessed with back then when I was a kid. I've had a, a few. I've had a few conversations with kids in the hall about this. Bruce and Kevin come to mind. Scott, do you feel like the kids in the hall were basically a punk band? Yes, I do. Right, absolutely. Yeah, we still think of ourselves as we are. We are a punk band. Yes, and we'll, we still like to upset people, and we still like to turn over apple carts and go against the the norm. And we're still like that. It's hard to believe. Yeah. In so, our 60s. <laughs> oh, <wait up. laughs> Shut up. Yes, so, turn. <laughs> so for those of us who know any kids in the hall lore, Paul yeah. and Scott, you two, Paul, you you and Scott tend to collaborate and write together, right? Yes, we're the homos. Yeah. Right. And for how long? How long has this relationship been going on in terms we've of... We've been homos forever. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, we've well, been collaborating since we were like... 78. Since you were were 79 years old? Is that what you said? Yeah, 79. When we first started university, it's 79. (laughs) It really started at York University when we met. And um, the first stuff we collabed, it all began with Paul being the editor of the newspaper. Yeah. And that's when I first started writing. And uh, and then we had, and then Brian Hiltz worked on it as well. And uh, um, I think Tom worked on it. Yeah. And, And then we just started making stuff like, we all found we found a group of friends that like to make things and most you know from the film department and from theater and so we just started making stuff from day one so you, you get together for theatrical reasons i think comedy reasons was mouth congress something of a lark was it something that you just did for fun to just enter another realm or how serious was this band well it started as a basement project where we just had a drum machine and a tape recorder and after about a year, we talked about it so much that Bruce McCullough got sad for us and invited us to do a live show. And all of a sudden, we had an opportunity to take the basement project and put it on stage. So that kind of transformed it in a way. And what are the odds that someone would have videotape of their very first shows? I mean, you have all of this in this film. Yeah, it's, we did. it's really astounding that what you've done here, Paul, if I might say. It sounds like you were the, the person making sure that was taking place. We were such egomaniacs. We had to see ourselves on stage. (laughs) And we would watch those tapes over and over again with the greatest pleasure. Yeah. And every time we did a show, we'd go home, we'd smoke a joint, we'd watch it. And go, wow, look how good we are. Look at us. No one else thought that. It really was a great outlet. Like, I mean, just in those days, all we did was make stuff. Like, I was either making comedy with the kids in the hall or comedy with Mouth Congress. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't think either, either of us had any real, we didn't really have any skills. We didn't play instruments. We didn't, we didn't, we weren't even like big rock guys, but it just felt right. It just felt right. And um, it was fun. It was just fun. It was, and also for us, I think as two gay guys in the era that we grew up in, it was a great place to put all of our sexual energy that we couldn't really um, explore because we were, we came out into an, into a basically a, a war. Yeah. So, yeah. That was so. I, I always say that Mouth Congress and Kids in the Hall saved my life. Well, that's nice to hear, and I can see that actually. Uh, Scott, you mentioned a, a real affinity for punk. I think of punk as being this interesting mix of uh, musical uh, and artistic proficiency with like a real, I don't know, irreverence about convention. Is there any part of Mouth Congress that is sort of making fun of music generally? Do you feel that? Uh, about all, this band, all, all of it, <laughs> all of it, all of it's making fun of me. So, what what is it about music that you're sort of trying to hide, like the absurdity of music? What are you making fun of per se? Us making it, I think. Oh, it's really it's really making fun of yourselves in a sense. Yeah, in a way, like the, the fact f- that we were, it was like two guys fronting a rock band. It's ludicrous. And two <laughs> gay guys in those days, that was literally unheard of. You just never ever saw stuff like that. Well, there was Frankie goes to Hollywood, but. They he wasn't even sound a, like us. And no, and he wasn't even really. Was he openly gay at the beginning? I think so. So Paul, I, was, I was thinking of like um, <laughs> Wayne County, who became Jane County. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a big one. It just was. A, I don't know. It just seemed, it seemed like something we weren't supposed to be doing. Like like this isn't a playground for gay boys. We're supposed to be doing drag and lip syncing songs, and we just this stuff felt like oh, this is we can be real boys. Now this. you know that that Scott met Johnny Rotten. 
Yes. Yeah, I did. I I've heard that story. Yes. What, can yeah, you t- he, t- and he was a very big fan. <laughs> very big fan. I couldn't Which believe. Which I it. love. I love that. Well, like, I remember. <laughs> I told you that story where we where when the Sex Pistols did their uh, reunion tour like what, fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah the Filthy Lucre tour. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was in L.A. and everybody was gathered to come backstage, and there were a lot of celebrities. And his manager came out, scanned the crowd, looked at me, and said, "You." <laughs> And no one else. Tom Arnold's going. No, I'm coming back. No, he doesn't want to see you. Just stop. <laughs> then we ended up getting me and my manager Terry got drunk with them. So, what did he want to talk to you about? What did Johnny Rotten want to talk to the lead singer or one of the lead singers of Mouth Congress about? Kids in the Hall, really. <laughs> Big Kids Buddy in the Hall Cole. fan. Buddy Cole. He just wanted to talk about Buddy Cole. He was obsessed with Buddy Cole. Cole. He even said to me that if they ever made a movie out of his life, he wants Buddy Cole to play him. Not- <laughs> Buddy Cole. His spirit was very similar. That he was, I felt like, oh, we're the same spirit. I'm his spirit animal. He's my spirit animal. That's interesting. I, now that I think about it, Buddy Cole seemed to be maybe, at least even subconsciously, influenced by Johnny Rotten. Is that fair? I, I think that is fair. Yeah. Weird. Okay. Well, in terms of Buddy Cole is like that, and that he'll stand in a wind, and then people say the wind's gotten too strong. You should come inside. Buddy goes, just I've just started. Like he, he's like that. Like he's not afraid of anything. And when I'm buddy, I'm I, I am kind of fearless. So it doesn't bother me what anybody does or says. So in keeping with what Scott was saying about making fun of the fact that you even got to do it, Paul, do you feel like your music is somewhat accessible? Like anyone, almost anyone, can get up on stage and anyone. and play. Almost anyone. Well, clearly with Mel- no, I don't want to. I'm not disparaging my guests on my anyone. own show. Anyone can, right? I think so. And and is that something to? That is something to kind of make fun of, that accessibility. Well, I don't know if we're making fun of that aspect of it, but I think, actually, we like that aspect of it. Yeah. I like, I, for me, creation, like being any kind of artistic expression, it doesn't really matter what it is. If you're a real artist, and you, then you can do anything if you, you work at you it. You know what I think helped? We had musicians who were good friends of ours. They yeah. were all straight guys. But they were also a little crazy. Yeah. Like someone like Gord Disley is a very unconventional guy. Very. And Brian Hiltz is insane. Rob bro. I mean, all of them Tom. were a little strange. So when we, Scott and I would make a suggestion, they went for it. Yeah. Like there was no, that doesn't sound like this. That's not rock sound and more. roll. Yeah. yeah. There was never a block. They just went with whatever silly idea we had. Yeah. Right. And they were willing to experiment and, um, they put themselves on the line. So that's why I think we had such a weird band. And they were actually really good musicians. So we lucked out. Absolutely. No, like that's what I mean. Like the music is, I know you're, it's it's something of a joke and there are scenes, you know, I, I'll get to the scene about the song Gerbil or the sequence, I should say in a moment. Oh, but yeah. but I do, I do think like, I, I like I say, as a music fan, the music is good. And I know you're making fun of it and undercutting good. it. It's a kids in the hall thing, right? Undercut what we're doing. That's a thing you guys all do. But I, I yeah. want I want to tell you, as a music fan, I think Mouth Congress is good. Thank you. We do too, and that's why we we have we actually have an album coming out. That's <laughs> hilarious. Well, we first is a seven inch single. Yeah, that's being released by Captured Tracks out of Brooklyn, and it's got three of our signature songs on it. So we're very excited about that. Comes out World Record Store Day. Nice, yeah. amazing. That's yeah. great. That's great. And then the album is just going to be called Waiting for Henry. If, if the single does any business, the album will come out afterwards. Yeah. And it's amazing because all of our, everything that we recorded was done on such such primitive manner that we had everything clean, you know, and Capture Tracks is cleaning everything up and remastering the tracks. And holy cow, it, it sounds like real music. Yeah. Well, and it, our, we, we see lyrics were, for me, lyrics were everything. Lyrics and taking my clothes off on stage. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, Paul, if you can talk about what the rise, let's call it the rise of Mouth Congress. What does the rise, uh, that's rise. What, what does the rise of Mouth Congress say about that period in Toronto? We were talking about accessibility, how anyone could kind of get into punk rock and play. What is What are we learning? Because in the documentary and in the history of Mouth Congress, you are intertwined with the Rivoli Club. Uh, based yes. in Toronto on Queen Street. So what is what is Mouth Congress's existence uh, and trajectory maybe say about Toronto? Paul, can you feel that? You know, at the time, there was very little comedy 
in Toronto. I mean, uh, the kids in the hall were like one of the very few comedy troops. Even stand-up in Toronto only started in the early 80s. So we're talking about a kind of an untested field where there was mostly just a lot of art students from Ontario College of Art and uh, places like that who are doing kind of interesting things. I mean, there was like the general idea, rough trade. So you had this sort of um, everything that was coming out of Toronto was a little unusual, you know? Mm -hmm. So we kind of fit right in. And because as a band, we were always insistent on being funny and putting on a show, it became very much of a comedy thing, you know? We almost no one came to our shows. Let's be absolutely honest oh, about yeah. that. Uh, there were at one point on our reunion show in 2016. Scott says, "There's more people here tonight that ever saw our band yeah. in the 80s," and it's absolutely true. We would play to rooms of like six people all the time and do these all-out shows, yeah, like it, like we changes. were yeah, like we were in a, a stadium. Yeah. Um, because for us, it was the pleasure of doing it and not so much a calculated career move. We recorded seven of our songs uh, in a studio and then never released the cassette. No. Yeah, well, what uh, is up with that? that? That's weird. You made videos too, never sent them to the networks? Why Why, do, why would you do these no, things? No, actually, the videos were all made after the fact. Yeah. Uh, th- th- that's a bit of a fib. Oh, uh, okay. I only learned how to edit <laughs> recently. Okay. Um, no, but the, the, the seven-inch, uh, the seven-inch, the seven-song cassette... Um, I didn't know what to do with it. No. And quite frankly, Kids in the Hall was taking That's off. That's the thing. Kids in the Hall took out. All of a off. sudden, we're like making a TV show at CBC, and yeah. you kind of don't have time no. to worry about your... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A little indie band at the Rivoli. We still did it. I kept Mouth Congress active until about 1991. But by then, we were just so exhausted from doing the TV show, we kind of weren't into doing rock and roll anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we never officially folded or anything no. like that. Uh, but we've done less and less shows. You know, it's, it's harder and harder, now, especially now to be old uh, and do it. Yeah. But uh, the scene back then was very... I mean, the Rivoli, they, I don't know, I guess they had bands. And then Monday night was a dead night. So that's became the comedy night. And that's where the kids in the hall sort of established themselves. You know, we, and we usually piggybacked on their shows, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So we, you, you would play together. Group. We were all learning how to do it. We were all learning how to write comedy, how to write music, all of it. We didn't know anything. Like Paul and I both come from families, which are really weren't, they weren't like artistic families. No. And I was never encouraged to do any of these things. But and, and like the kids in the hall, we would do a show with all new songs, with like different costumes and, and a whole different narrative for each show. And then we'd throw it away. And the next time we do a completely new song, new show again. Yeah. Just like the kids in the hall. But in that way, we really got very prolific. Yeah. Very so did the two entities, Mouth Congress and Kids in the Hall, sort of inform one another? Did the, the act of performing a, a Mouth Congress show or writing a Mouth Congress song bleed into Kids in the Hall or vice versa? Oh, I definitely think so. Like, I definitely think that for me, like I learned how to write comedy and write monologues and that. I remember at one point thinking, oh, my, the intros to the songs are as long as the songs. <laughs> and then eventually they're like, oh, they're kind of... More, I'd rather do that. Plus, so. we were really fussy about our lyrics, very, um, and and our sketch writing. I mean, the two things were were basically very word oriented, 
and we were very specific about what we were trying to do. So the song had to have a good lyric. It had to have a meaning, right? Yeah. Same with sketch. I mean, you, you, there's, you have to write a funny sketch. It's got to be about something. It's funny you say that, Paul, because I alluded to the gerbil tension in uh, uh-huh. this film, in which yeah. you've written a song uh, that's uh, it's about you, and it's it's yeah, all it's sort of nonsense. Me. It's about you, and be, it's just nonsense. And Scott, uh, yeah. it, it really rubs uh, Scott's rhubarb, if I might say. Totally. So, <laughs> Scott, can you talk about uh, the uh, the origin story of the song Gerbil and 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 how well, it's Gerbil was the song that that the boys and Paul did at the very beginning, but it wasn't really. It was about. It was all being fabulous. No, it was, was originally it? called Crocodile Tears, right. and it had nothing to do with any of that. And I liked the the melody, or the, the uh, it was a Tom King group, and I thought it was a great dance song. And so I changed it to call it about. It's called Me. You know, like Catherine Hepburn made uh, wrote a book called Me, mm-hmm. her autobiography. Mm-hmm. So I did the same thing, and Scott fucking hated the lyrics awesome. so much, and just mocked me. And and most of that's in the movie because. It really shows our our writing, our approach to writing, our chemistry. A lot of it is beating each other into yeah. submission. So I just didn't think that, Paul. I just thought it, a song like that. It's all about how fabulous you are. I'm like, like you're not Nicki Minaj. Like this is not going to work. You have to move a little. You're just not so. And then, but so there's a part of the spine of the film is finding the true lyrics, which is about a gerbil being gerbled. <laughs> and from his point of view, from their point of view. I guess we wanted to write a, a really gay song about something that no one else has ever talked about before. Yeah. So, in so, music, anyway. So, I don't know if there's any gerbil songs out there. I don't even know if gerbling, I mean, probably gerbling happens once. Yeah, if ever. <laughs> if ever. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a real th- I don't think that's a real it thing. It always obsessed us. <laughs> So and I thought, thought this is a really funny. No one's ever written a song about gerbling from the point of view of a gerbil. <laughs> proud to be a sacrificial gerbil so in terms of a lyrical metaphor you turned a song uh, scott you turned a song that paul wrote about himself into a song about him being a, a gerbil that dribbles um yes what does that say about your relationship it, it doesn't sound healthy on some well, level i wanted paul to write about an, a, something that he was closer to <laughs> and an animal that he was closer to like i think the first the first iteration of the song, he, he was like a panther. I'm like, you're not a panther. Yeah. You're a gerbil. What is your spirit animal? Yeah, that's it's what, a gerbil. That was the discussion. Like, what's your spirit animal? And then gerbil came out, and then the song just kind of wrote itself. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay with this, Paul? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't I be? I, I don't know. I, I just, if someone, if I wrote an auto, if I wrote a memoir and someone said, can you turn this whole thing into you being a gerbil that dribbles? I'd be a little offended. That's all I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> I don't think you can be if you're a comedian. That's right. You have, yeah. to, you have to embrace it. So, Scott, you described this uh, sequence uh, as the as spine of the film. Are you, Paul, is this a typical <laughs> dynamic between you two where, like, uh, is one of you the good cop, bad cop? Are you both sort of going after each other's material to refine it together, or is it one-sided on some level? Well, I think in order to be truly good, you have to test yourself and your partner. And sometimes you really have to push out ideas that aren't working. And the only way to do that is to be a little bit mean. And I think that's entirely fair when it comes to the creative process. It goes beyond any personal interaction. And it's all about the finished product. And we wanted to write a great song. We wanted to write a song that was really different, that served that music and was fun for people and fun to produce on stage. And I think we got there. Yeah. And it took a lot of humiliation and anger and pouting, none of which I regret and all of which I think goes into the song. And then, of course, it meant that I had to cut one of my songs that I really wanted. To Sadly, yeah. Sadly, but it was worth it for this film. Now, Scott, which song uh, got cut? I just oh, I'm, I'm be curious. my whole right. Yeah, a love song, a country and western love song yeah. about uh, well, you know about you can, holes. You can figure it out. Yeah. 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 So you've got the dribble in the hole, and then you just cut one They're whole song for another. Pretty songs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what? What? We've been talking about this film. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm in the media. I was sent a preview uh, link to this film. Where can people see this film? What is the future of the Mouth Congress film, Paul? Okay, well, we're we're showing it at the Kingston Canadian Film Festival next Saturday, March 14th, at I think 9 p.m., uh, which is a choice spot in the festival. 
And uh, it's great because Scott and I will be there, and Kevin McDonald yeah. will also be there. He's yeah. he's there for an unrelated thing. He's doing a workshop, yeah. but it's perfect because we're the three guys that are basically the, the gist of the movie. And also, it's going to be screened at the Bell Lightbox, Tiff Bell Lightbox, on June 4th. In Toronto. Have you viewed this film with an audience at any point? Have you screened it with oh. anyone? No, never. No, I can't imagine. Like I'm terrified. Yeah, I, mean, I really am. Right. Yeah. Now you you terrified. have. We're gonna go. What the hell is this? You did write and direct this film. I mean, your names are on there. Uh, yeah. We know. It's pretty, yeah. it's, it's pretty risky, guys. I'm just saying, it's a risky endeavor that you've embarked on. It is. In what way? I'm just curious why you think it's risky. Well, you know, your names are known, uh, and uh, now they're attached to this film. And, I know. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I think it's great. I enjoyed it. It's very experimental. It's very arty. Yes. I learned a lot. There's a lot of um, tension. I mean, just you two trying to hang up some kind of giant piece of billboard or whatever it was. <laughs> That's the best. That's the funniest it's just a long sequence of you just preparing for this thing. And I just, I wonder what people are going to think that you're really showing people everything that you do soup to nuts. I know. It's very and I mean, and our stuff is not, it's certainly not ready for like 2020. Right. Like it's, this is, no, we, we didn't hide anything. We're going, do we really show them this? Like, uh, yeah, let's do it. We, I mean, why not make an impact? And the beautiful thing is all this stuff for us now, it's weird. It's all coming together. The kids in the hall have been rebooted. Yeah. The Mouth Congress is happy. I'm like going, oh, my God, this is hilarious at our age to have this kind of a <laughs> yeah. a boost. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I, want, I, want, people will, I think they're going to notice it. I, think, I look at it this way. I think if it's a flop, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. If it's a hit, great. If it's a scandal, even better. Mm-hmm. That seems That seems to be like the mandate of Mouth Congress in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who cares? Let's just try that to... We had scandals. We never really did, but no, if we had one care. now, that would be great. <laughs> Can I just do a little spoiler and, and tell me, yeah. forgive me if I'm wrong, but for those listening who haven't seen the film yet, you you, you end up seeing Scott's penis. Is that fair to you say? You do. <laughs> and being toyed with, with the butt of a machine gun. Yes, yes. So there's, there's a lot to see and experience with the Mouth Congress film is all I'm saying. Like we looked at stuff like that and went, do we put it in? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I think with a penis, you do put it in. That's just yeah. the way it works. That's that's what they're there for. Okay. So if people, you don't, you don't see mine. No, no, but we see other yeah. thi- see other things. Oh, there's sure. oh, some other things that are pretty risky. So you mentioned the captured tracks releases there, Paul. Uh, where can people yeah. go to learn more about the, that stuff? Listening to Mouth Congress, can you tell us? Well, I'm assuming the Capture Tracks website would have some kind of information, you know, because uh, it's a world record store release thing. That won't happen till April 18th. Okay. And I guess it's kind of hard to promote it in advance because we're waiting for press release or something. I'm not sure. Right, right. Um, but, you know, it's a limited edition seven inch on colored vinyl. It's a beautiful, we really worked hard on the packaging. Yeah. And I think it's a, a really beautiful uh, item. You know, it's only available on vinyl. So it, it, none of these songs have come out on CD or any other form. So um, I guess Amazon would have it and capture tracks. And I'm not sure who else. You know, you said limited edition. You said seven inch. You said vinyl. I, and now I'm just thinking about Scott's penis again. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> Thank you. Yes, orange vinyl. <laughs> and it is. It's yeah, seven inch vinyl. That's what he called me. Come seven inch vinyl. <laughs> now, Scott, you have alluded to the fact that Kids in the Hall have been rebooted a few times now. What can you tell us about this? Uh, first of all, uh, thank you and congratulations on this Amazon deal. What what's what's the deal? Well, they're they're bringing us back to television. We've all come back to Toronto. We're in our third week of writing. Um, it'll be shot this summer. Um, it's going to be Amazon has bought the entire library of Kids in the Hall. So all the episodes, all the sketch episodes, the films, the documentary, you know, the Death Comes to Town, everything. Wow. And and so that's going to happen first, and then but we're doing right now. We're making eight new episodes. Now, so just just to be clear on this, and I think it is clear, but I just want to clarify: when you've reconvened uh, previously, it's for live shows, and then you made "Death Comes to Town," which was a, a you know a different thing. 
this is sketches. You're going to get together and write a sketch show. Sketches, yeah. Okay, and and now old school. Old school. How how, how's that feeling? How's I know you you did it for the live shows, but so it's not that foreign to you. But how how's that feeling? It's feeling fantastic. Okay, just great. Yeah, it's just you know there are a couple of days where it's like oh you know you're remembering how to ride the bike again, but it's um, I couldn't be happier. It's just a thrill. Now, Paul, you, as I mentioned earlier, you are, uh, for those of us who know the troupe, uh, you are part of the troupe. Are you involved in this uh, Amazon series? I'm assuming there might be a towel guy appearance. There's, there's stuff in the works. Yes, there is. Is this a sticky? I didn't mean to provoke any sticky. No, it's not at all. No, okay. uh, I, I think it's great, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But, yeah, probably I'm at the age of 60 having to put on a towel again. What are you going to do? It's but, my life. But, Paul, are you still, or Scott, I don't know who wants to speak to this. I feel like my understanding of this, you guys are, are your writing partners. Are you, are, Paul, do you serve as a sounding board for Scott's stuff and vice versa? How does that work? Yeah, I guess over the years, oh, yeah. we've, whenever we're officially working on something together, I don't know if it's going to happen so much with the show because they've yeah. already got a ton of material already yeah. that, that they did on live stages, so... It's pretty much ready to be shot. And there's this, I'm just gonna, all I'm going to be very discreet and um, about the, the, the politics are very different today than they were then. I, yeah. wa- I wanted to ask you about this, Scott, because I know I, I still maintain you and I did a thing. We did a, for Exclaim magazine. We did a questionnaire some yeah. years ago. And I still when people say Vish, like uh, who what's your what's your favorite uh, episode of the, your podcast? You have 500 episodes. I say, you know what? Scott Thompson talking to me in a questionnaire. I was really surprised. You said some very insightful things about religion, and they stick with me every day, if I might say. So I think of you as a thoughtful and and, and wise man. I think you know this. Um, You wish. It's very nice of you. I want to know about this politics thing, because when the announcement came out, as you know, outrage. Outrage follows all good news. And people were like, you know, Kids in the Hall did blackface once. Kids in the Hall yeah. did this once. They did <laughs> that once. once. Yeah, exactly. So how are you? Like, I know you. I know you're outspoken and you don't yeah. have a lot of patience for this kind of out- outrage. How are you feeling about provoking people with the Kids in the Hall in the year 2020? Well, I'd be, I'll be honestly, I'm nervous and excited. Hmm. You have to, and yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried. Uh, I've been told by people, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, and a lot of people, this stuff won't fly. And I'm like, well, you know what? Let's see. Let's see how far we can go. We're definitely going to push things. And, um, you know, even when you use the term blackface, I find that interesting because, first of all, that's not how we thought of any playing characters that weren't our race. Mm -hmm. I'm just a person that thinks that everybody is the same and human beings, there aren't that many barriers for people to understand each other. And, um, you know, I just thought, well, I want to look like a character, so I'm going to try to look like them. Hmm. I didn't see any, you know, I just never really thought it was a big deal. And we'll see what we get to do now. Um, And I'm sure there will be people that are outraged, but I'm sure the vast majority will not be. Yeah, I'm guessing... I I think that's what will happen. But I'm guessing you may not tread the line of cultural appropriation in this time frame is that when you say cultural appropriation what do you mean by that do you really mean that or are you just using it because that's the that's the 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 vernacular of the time that's the vernacular of the time no i'm not i'm not saying i I, i'm not saying i feel that way i'm i'm an indian guy i I, you know i i i'm aware of what's going on i know what i've grown grown up this way the whole time i used to I used to engage in it just to to fend off the white people I grew up with. You know what I mean? Like yeah. kind of a weird uh, brown face or uh, or minstrelsy. Yeah. I used to call myself an Uncle Raj for crying out loud. So <laughs> so I, what I'm saying is I'm not saying this from my point of view. I'm just yeah. saying this is what you're up against, and you know this. So I just I do know it. Yeah, and you're fine with with dealing with these people who are going to complain. I am. I am fine with it. I think I still have the stomach for it. Okay. Um, I, I know it's in my heart. I know why I do these things. And it's just like, if the kids in the hole don't overturn a few apple carts, then what's the point? Right. Okay. I also, I wish people wouldn't dissect comedy in such a literal way because there's something bigger at stake always with, with comedy and for it to work, you can't start breaking it down. Like there's this, a, a little kids in the hall podcast where they talk about every episode yeah. and they're all young millennials. And 
every like they love the show, but, but the minute Mark appears as the Japanese emperor yeah. or or as the blues guy, they get all or, twisted yeah. into knots. And I'm thinking, and they're all white. Guys, they're all white kids. Yeah, too. shut up! You're missing the fucking point. I think here, here's my take on this. I think non comedians employing comedy has really impacted comedy because the yeah, people they're really i think the people they're upset at are the people who think they're like the, they, they are they're 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 incent they're culturally insensitive they're racist they're often they're politicians or public figures and they just say things that they shouldn't honestly like you wouldn't say it to someone if they were in the room with you but they have these pulpits and they say it and it's not if it's not insightful and it's also not funny but then when they get called on it they say i was making a joke and i feel like this has had a ripple effect where people like joke i heard him say joke that must mean all comedy is evil and terrible, and that's what I see happening. And because, uh, as you would guess, I'm a huge fan of your your work, and I'm a huge fan of comedy. I share your sentiments. I feel like comedy is being unfairly maligned in a lot of ways because of the non comedians. Does that make well, any sense? You know I agree. Activists are the least humorous people yeah. on earth. I mean, they have to be by nature, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but again, that literal dissection of material uh, does not do anybody any good yeah like we're gay men that came up came of age in a very very turbulent time oh aids and and gay bashing absolutely yeah and and the activism was so intense that i was no like no one will i was an enemy of a lot of those people they hate me right but we also did activism our way which is to do gay comedy in the early 90s when it wasn't available anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. And I just think being true to yourself is the ultimate um, activism. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I, I, I do, I, I hear it in all your work and I see it in all your work and I, I want to thank you for your work and, and for taking the stands you've taken, if that makes any sense. Thanks. Thanks yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, yeah. So we ended on a nice note. You cheered. You involuntarily yeah. cheered. That's nice of you. Now, I want, I usually go out uh, when I have a guest, uh, it's a musical guest, we go out on a song. I know everything's oh. getting cleaned up. Is there anything by Mouth Congress I could potentially play uh, for people to hear? Like, is there anything from the back catalog or, or anything? Is there something you can think of, Paul? I'm going to go with Paul on this one because I feel like he keeps the archives going. Well, I, I, you could play one of the songs off the new 7-inch single. Yeah. Is, okay, which one, which one would you suggest? Tactile. Tactile, okay. That's a good yeah. one. What, what do you want to say or, or about? Or going to be a man, or me and my half hours. We'll let I, you choose. I, I, any one of them would be fine. Yeah, I am going to go with. Well, what do you want to say about tactile? If we went with tactile, what would you say about it? Oh, tactile was one of our very first songs. Yeah. It was something Scott was jamming out in the living room, and it was that tick 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 thing that I thought was really clever. And then we gradually realized it was a song about human contact. And as young gay guys who weren't getting laid a lot, we were very interested in this idea of tactility, of being touched and touching people. Mm-hmm. And the song is very much, I think, a plea for being touched a lot in the future. Oh, right? that, that, that sounds nice. Scott, do you want to edit anything about uh, Paul's answer there? I, I just want to say that it all came true and that very soon after that, we're being touched a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here's to more touching. Never more never, touching. It's never enough. No, never enough. <laughs> All right. This is Tactile by Mouth Congress. Paul Bellini, Scott Thompson, thank you so much for being on this show and best of luck with everything going forward with this film and all thank things you. Mouth Congress and Kids in the Hall. I, I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, man. Thank you. Sitting in the street writing poetry, dirty verse.
Oh, very, very special thanks to Scott Thompson and Paul Bellini of both Mouth Congress and the Kids in the Hall for appearing on this, the 531st episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and Spotify, YouTube, and Audio Boom and CastBox and Radio Public and Stitcher. and It's on all of the platforms that you access your podcast from. If you can't find an episode of the show that you've heard about and you just can't find it on any of those things for some reason, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my semi-regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook and follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or follow me directly at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. Again, there is a, a $6 here now six dollars or more in fact gets you exclusive uh, access to content that i'm not otherwise presenting on the show so go to uh, patreon.com slash creative control to learn more about that thanks as always to pizza trocadero the bookshelf and planet bean coffee and granddad's donuts for their in-kind support for the show uh, thank you to my friend jim guthrie uh, you can learn more about jim at jimguthrie.org and hear all of his music and finally thank you thank you for listening to this episode and uh, and subscribing to the podcast and telling your friends to do the same. It all means a lot. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.